0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported.
1: Community Radio
2: from South Central
1: Indiana.
3: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
0: And I'm Noel Herhusky- schneider This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, June 28th, 2022.
3: Later in the program, WFHB News Director Cade Young spoke with Dr. Jennifer Drobak, professor of law at the Robert H. McKinney School of Law at Indiana University, about the Supreme Court's recent decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. More in today's feature report.
0: Also coming up in the next half hour, the Monroe County Commissioners discussed a high transmission of COVID-19 on the local level. However, hospitalizations remain low. That's coming up next in your daily headlines.
3: At the Monroe County Commissioners' meeting on June 22nd, Health Department Director Penny Caudill gave an update that although COVID-19 transmission is high, it remains stable with a low level of hospitalizations.
4: We still need to be cautious, be aware that there's still a lot of virus that's circulating, but um, especially the vaccine is keeping people um, out of the hospital and and not having severe disease or death.
3: Coddle also informed the commissioners that monkeypox is spreading but that there are only two reported cases in Indiana as of June
5: 17th.
4: Monkeypox is, of course, making the news. So as of June 17th, there were 113 cases uh, reported in 20 states and Washington, D.C. Two cases have been reported in Indiana so far. So the main thing to remember is this is still rare. It We are seeing this increase, so that's where the concern is, Um, and the risk to the general population is still low. So just want to reassure people about that. There's lots of good information out there. Uh, The CDC website can walk through what the, you know, the rash is what's most contagious, and that can be even in your mouth or on your body. So it's really close contact with somebody with those symptoms. Um, So, Pay attention to what's coming with that, but know that in general, it's not something that we all, we need to be aware of, but we don't need to be overly concerned, just cautious and aware.
3: During public comment, Bloomington Chamber of Commerce member Christopher Emge thanked the commissioners for their work and highlighted
5: specific projects the Chamber of Commerce was glad to see. Good morning, commissioners. This is Christopher Emge from the Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce. We often come before you to advocate positions, both pro and con, on a number of issues. We have a role to play as a voice of business in this public arena and sometimes we agree and and sometimes we uh, we are at odds, Um, but that's a good thing for democracy. Today, I wanna commend the commissioners on their effort and their work on behalf of Monroe County residents. On the judicial front last December, the county was recognized as exceptional by the state for its juvenile detention alternatives initiatives. Chamber applauds the effort in reducing racial and ethnic disparities. Along the same lines, we are encouraged by the recent progress we have seen by the Criminal Justice Response Committee. Margie Rice has been an outstanding facilitator in this group. The results will go a long way in creating a new and innovative justice center. And with the new funding available, we anxiously await seeing a progressive 21st century method of incarceration with a shared goal of reducing recidivism and providing a pathway for those in our legal system to become contributing members of our community. Finally, we are pleased to see the planned limestone heritage site come together with the purchase of those 70 acres on the Northwest side of the interchange of State Road 46 and I-69. This is a real opportunity to develop and mold a tourist beacon that uniquely captures our history and the entire uplands region i thank you for your time this morning and thank you chief technology director eric evans
3: asked the commissioners to approve an agreement with soft choice for forty one thousand
1: three hundred and seventy dollars a couple of things about this particular deal that are nice Uh, number one uh with this being an enterprise level deal it's scalable so uh we're starting out with 350 licenses as we need to add more people we can do it a la carte you know we can do it in one we can add two instead of having to add groups of 100 or 500 which is how we had been structured before so when we do exhaust the 350 uh which i think will be a little ways from now uh, we can start adding people and just pay that a la carte cost. A couple other things that are included in this enterprise level package that'll be helpful down the road. Uh, I have been working with the outgoing recorder to look at getting uh, OCR solutions. OCR, of course, stands for optical character recognition. It's what happens when you take a scan of a document and you turn that into words that are then searchable in a database. This deal bundles in the Acrobat OCR as part of that. So um, maybe that'll work for the recorder's needs. But if not, you know, we can look at getting some third party product, but we're getting this as part of the deal so you know i figured we'd go ahead with it uh the other thing that's included as part of this that they typically license separately is the pdf slash a designation that is the archival uh standard that where they bundle the fonts along with that document and that pdf file is meant to last a good hundred years longer than otherwise. That's included in this licensing. So uh, it's a pretty good deal and um, I hope you'll vote yes
0: for it.
3: The commissioners approved the request unanimously. The next commissioners meeting will be held on July 6th.
0: At the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission meeting on June 21st, the commissioners approved a contract to begin the demolition of the Hopewell neighborhood. Engineering and Project Manager Matt Smethurst informed the commission that the lowest bid for demolition was from Renescent.
6: Hopewell Phase 1 East demolition project will include the demolition of existing houses and buildings on the site. On June 6th, bids were opened and the city received five bids for the project. The lowest bid received from Bluestone Tree was an incomplete bid. It was just for the tree removal portion of the contract. And then the second lowest bid from Omega, uh, they did not include all of the necessary bid documents in their packet. So we moved on to the third lowest bid from Renaissance. Um, That bid was for $588,775.02. And they were the lowest responsive and responsible bidder. Uh, The demolition construction is anticipated to begin in July.
0: Project engineer Patrick Dierkes shared what buildings would be a part of this contract for the first phase of the demolition.
3: There are the two large warehouses uh, that are IU Health's uh, current property. Um, There is their home at 409, or I'm sorry, 321 West 2nd Street. So that'd be 409, 321, 313, 311, 303. So uh, seven residential homes, uh, a small apartment complex that is next to uh, um, Centerstone and the county's building there, and then uh, the two large warehouses.
0: The commissioners unanimously approved the contract with Renescent. The next Bloomington Redevelopment Commission meeting will be held on July 5th.
3: In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young spoke with Dr. Jennifer Drobak, professor of law at the Robert H. McKinney School of Law at Indiana University, about the Supreme Court's recent decision to overturn Roe v. Wade.
6: Dr. Jennifer Drobak, Professor of Law at the Robert H. McKinney School of Law at Indiana University. Welcome to the WFHB Local News.
2: Thanks for having me.
6: Thank you so much for being here. So first off, I just want to get your initial reaction. What do you make of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling to overturn Roe versus Wade?
2: This is a really seismic and important decision because while the majority of the court said that it was just about abortion, period, full stop, it actually went beyond abortion in that it overturned Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which are two decisions which relied on prior precedent Established in the contraception cases of Griswold versus Connecticut and Eisenstadt versus Baird. And what we're focusing on and what I want everyone to kind of clue into is the fact that the court discussed what liberty means. And the court said that the 14th Amendment, the substantive due process, which discusses liberty, did not include a privacy right for an abortion. And it said basically there. Privacy is not there in the Constitution. And that's correct. It's not there. It has been interpreted out of the liberty interest that people, women, and this was in Rowan Casey, have a privacy right to bodily integrity of their own body. Well, if you don't have a privacy interest in your own body for an abortion, and the state can force a pregnancy which is actually a crime against humanity in, in, in many countries, um, then the question remains, well, what do you have a right in if you don't have a liberty right in your own body, in bodily integrity? And part of the problem of this decision is it's going to be very difficult to not only predict, but then later to control what, future decisions do with this evisceration of the right to bodily integrity and the, and the right to privacy in your person and basically in your bedroom. And this was foreshadowed by Justice Thomas in his concurrence when he said, yes, uh, Obergefell, which is the same-sex marriage case, and therefore all of marriage is now called into question potentially, since that also relies on the liberty interest. And Justice Thomas also said, and of course contraception is called into question, which is the two cases that I cited to earlier and, and more cases. And yes, that also relies on liberty. And in fact, Missouri has already banned abortion completely. And that means that anything that interferes with a pregnancy um, with a you know a fertilized egg is potentially illegal. So that means an IUD, which is something that we have considered up until now, contraception is now illegal, and because it interferes with implantation of a fertilized egg. And so this decision, the Stobbs decision, calls into question almost 50 years of rights that we have taken for granted. And I know what that means because I was 13 when Roe versus Wade came down. That year my mom almost died after her sixth child was born, uh, my brother. And I thought, thank God, thank God women are gonna be safe now. And now my daughter does not have the same rights that I've enjoyed
6: absolutely absolutely that that's so well said and who knows what the long-term effects of this will be and you know you touched on you know you were 13 when roe v wade passed i was just curious would you be able to to touch on what went into that movement to you know guarantee the constitutional right of abortion back then you know that was a, a huge time with the women's liberation movement and you know i was curious would you touch on that at all
2: there was a new consciousness developing in the 1960s and into the 1970s, that women were fully equal, functional human beings under American law and under our Constitution. And so as fully functional, legal human beings, we necessarily had a right to control our own bodies, our own destinies, if you will, because if you have babies, if you're pregnant, it's very difficult to plan to work, to plan childcare, it's expensive and as we know, pregnancy is a much higher risk endeavor than is a first-term abortion. And so, particularly here in Indiana, Indiana has a terrible maternal mortality rate and and so we see firsthand that Abortion is a safe and was a legal practice. And we see how quickly things are going to change within the, in Indiana because our governor has now called for a special session. And so you have to know that people who are pro birth are going to be lobbying this special session for a complete ban on abortion. And by the way, our constitution is a very short document. I recommend everybody read it and get familiar and cozy with it. It is a brilliant. A brilliant piece of writing, and it's our contract with the government. So in 1868, what was the the scene like in Indiana? Well, that was 11 years before Indiana got its Married Woman's Act. The Married Woman's Act made it possible for women to have rights, married women, to have rights over their own property. Before that, their husbands controlled their property. Their husbands controlled their wages. Women were not allowed to fully engage in contracts. And so women were not legally full functioning citizens under the law in 1868, the time when this court wants to take us back.
6: I really appreciate you walking me through some of the history and touching on Indiana, especially, and building off of that. You know, what does this mean for Indiana? You mentioned the governor called for a special session on July 6th, of which he made very clear that they will discuss abortion. You know, what are the number of ways that that could play out?
2: It's anyone's guess. And again, I encourage people to contact your representatives and make your views known. Most people, most people, and I'm not talking, you know, pink party, purple party, green party, red party, blue party. Most people favor Responsible, sensible, medical care, which includes abortion. Um, So this decision went against the opinion of most people. So I think those people need to be active. And I mean, as I tell my students, you snooze, you lose. And we've been snoozing for too long. So we need to get active because the Indiana legislature could easily Ban abortion now, completely. No exceptions for rape, no exceptions for incest, no exceptions for fetal anomalies. So let's say, heaven forbid, a woman is carrying a child and the brain is not developing. So the fetus has no brain. I'm sorry, you have to carry that, that baby to term. You know, if the baby's still alive by then, watch that baby die. Because you cannot, you, you I mean you can't really function without a brain. And so everything from Tay-Sachs disease to I mean there there's just a variety of crippling um, and I'm not talking about mild disabilities. I'm talking about serious and painful anomalies that cause great suffering for uh, babies and fetuses. And so the Indiana legislature could fail to enact an exemption or an exception in the ban on abortion for that. You know, what happens if there's an ectopic pregnancy? That could be, I mean, I'm sorry, Um, they could say too bad, so sad. It could risk your life. You could die from it, but we are not going to allow you to have an abortion because maybe God will intervene and save you. Well, maybe God will, but if God doesn't, you know, that means that if you're really right to life, then you might want to think about saving the mother there. So the health and safety and life of the mother, uh, at the very least, should be an exception. But, but that's not the case in some states. I, I know that Marion County Prosecutor Ryan Mears has very nobly said that he will not prosecute people who try to exercise their abortion what used to be their right and now might be illegal, depending on what the the legislature does, that he won't prosecute those cases. And that's that's really interesting. But it really, I don't want people to be lulled against sleeping through what the Indiana legislature could do, because if they consider abortion to be murder and call it fetal homicide or murder, Indiana has no statute of limitations on murder. Which means that if you have an abortion after this period when it's been deemed illegal and murder or fetal homicide, then in the future, when Ryan Mears is no longer the prosecutor and somebody else wants to make his or her name on prosecutions, you could be prosecuted for murder. So again, I'm I'm just highlighting for people. Again, this hasn't come to pass yet, but I want to introduce to people the significance of this decision.
6: Absolutely. And, and you're totally right. I mean, we seem to be uh, steeped in this state of confusion and uncertainty of, of what's going to happen. So I wanted to get to, you know, a possible recourse. So what is a possible legal recourse, if anything, that either the federal government or the state government can do to ensure the constitutional right to abortion like can congress legislate policy or can the president issue an executive order or you know from your perspective as a legal expert can abortion be ensured as a constitutional right somehow using the system we have in place
2: yes because under the supremacy clause a state can't take away your rights that the federal government has given you so, if Congress were to pass the law that has already been adopted in the House, a bill that has been accepted and voted on favorably by the House, if the Senate were to pass uh, the act that codifies Roe, that would guarantee all fifty states the right to some abor- abortion under some circumstances. That was really under the the, the framing that you had with Roe versus Wade. Now, that's going to be very hard for Congress to do because they're not going to be able to get past the filibuster. I don't see Kirsten Cinema and um, Mansion uh, reversing themselves, uh, although they should, given this new horrific decision, um, on the filibuster. So I don't think Kamala Harris will get the opportunity to uh, cast the deciding vote on this row legislation that is in already in Congress at the federal level. Furthermore, if if as predicted, Congress uh, flips and becomes Republican, then our former governor and former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, has called for a national ban on abortion, which could be passed through the Commerce Clause or through the Spending Clause. And then you have a situation where states like California and Illinois might not be able to offer abortion anymore if there's, for example, a preemption clause. Now, normally a state can give you rights that the federal government doesn't give you. In other words, they can make you freer. They just can't take away what the federal government has given you. So if the federal government says no abortion and the state's step in, they may be able to step in unless the federal government says no abortion, no exceptions. no state can interfere with this. That's going to be a test. Where will that test go? The Supreme Court that, as we know, is hostile to abortion. The other thing we can do is we can vote with our pocketbook. There are businesses that are currently giving employees financial stipends, if they need to access medical care, they are engaging in uh, lobbying for uh, responsible legislation. And I think we need to stop supporting these anti-choice businesses that would impose their religious views on the rest of us. You can be religious, but we have, at least as of today, we have a free exercise clause, which means if my religion doesn't match yours, I still get to practice. But a lot of businesses are dictating to their employees what they claim their religious views uh, require them to dictate. So we have already a Supreme Court decision um, based on some issues that came up with Hobby Lobby. And my feeling is, Do not patronize businesses that do not support um, our notion of liberty and equality. So, for example, Dick's Sporting Goods is, and I'm not in any way affiliated with Dick's at all, um, but they're offering assistance to employees who need to have some time off or need some help financially in accessing medical care. And so I say vote with your pocketbook. Support those businesses that are willing to support an expansive view of liberty and are willing to consider that all of us are equal under the law and all of us should have a right to bodily integrity
6: most definitely and you touched on an interesting point uh about Dick's sporting goods and i was just curious you know the right to privacy here so you know that's that's very noble of dick's sporting goods to to offer but you know, on some level, you have to think, should you have to inform your employer of your decision to to get an abortion, right? I mean, how does the right to privacy play in all this?
2: We shouldn't have to give away that private information. But as the court said, this is nowhere in the Constitution. And they're right. Privacy is nowhere explicitly defined in the Constitution. But one of the odd things that that the court failed to really acknowledge, and I'll do it right here for us, because these days I always travel with my handy-dandy Constitution, which protects us all. There is something called the Ninth Amendment, which is, again, brilliant. And the Ninth Amendment is one sentence long. It says, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed, to deny or disparage others retained by the people. In other words, this brilliant Ninth Amendment is a catch-all clause that says, whatever we didn't put in this document, you still have, people. And so guess what? You still have a right to bodily integrity. It's just that this court doesn't recognize that.
6: That concludes part one of my interview with Dr. Jennifer Drobak, professor of law at the Robert H. McKinney School of Law at Indiana University, about the Supreme Court's recent decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Stay tuned to tomorrow's edition of the WFHB Local News to hear part two of that interview.